Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from Converge Church, now in progress. All righty. Anyone else ready for the word this morning? All right, we've been in a series uh, that we've titled Miracles. Today is week number four. Uh, One of the things we say here at Converge Church is that the atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. My prayer this morning is that this environment will be ripe with expectation because expectation always precedes manifestation. Amen? So this morning, Father, we ask you to stir up expectation in our hearts that we will draw near to you, Father, without hesitation or reservation, that, God, we will draw near to you with full assurance, without condemnation, without guilt, and without shame. God, your word declares that if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence toward God. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you that 2,000 years ago you dealt with the condemnation issue so that you and I can have confidence toward our God. We thank you for that now in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen Amen and amen. Today is week four, or today we commemorate, we celebrate week four of our sermon series. Listen, if you're joining us online this morning, thank you so much for prioritizing this moment with your Converge Live family. I'm so excited that now we have technically two campuses. We have our live campus here at the Angelica, and we have a second campus that is global, amen? It's not just local, but it is global. We have friends joining us from around the country and around the world. I like that. I I think we have become a global church, amen? A local church with global influence. Good morning, those of you joining us online. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Listen, I'm going to call an audible this morning. Uh, it's, it's not consistent with what my original plan was for this morning, but I just felt prompted of the Lord to, to go this direction, and I trust that you will receive ministry exactly where you need it this morning. I'll tell you how I kind of landed on the sermon today. Um, I was invited to do a virtual men's conference uh, for a great church, my, uh, my mentor's church in Maryland, and they were doing a virtual retreat for their men's ministry. And they asked me to be the keynote speaker on Friday night and Saturday morning. Well, I had this invitation several months ago, so I knew that it was coming up. Good to see you, Stephen. Good to see you. Good to see you. And I knew this invitation. I knew the date was coming and, uh, and started to study, started to prepare, but didn't land on anything that seemed like it was the word. Y'all know how that is sometimes? Uh, it's not just a, with the ministry of the word, but sometimes you're just looking for the dress. Come on, ladies, y'all know what I'm talking about. And you go through your closet, and it's not quite. One of my Bible instructors in Bible college would always say, if it ain't quite, it ain't right. And so as I'm going through the Word and studying, I said, what can I say to these men that will encourage them in this season? And, man, I I studied, I had a message, it just didn't seem quite. Somebody say Bible immersion. Listen, as I was doing my daily Bible reading, I landed on Mark 6 because it was Tuesday. It's the sixth chapter of Mark, the sixth day of October. And I just started to read the text uh, as I would do normally uh, as part of my personal devotion and for personal edification. As I'm reading through Mark chapter 6, 
I land at verse 14. And I start to read this particular account in Mark chapter number 6. And the Lord says, this is what I want you to teach at the conference. And I'm like, Lord, this seems to have absolutely nothing to do with men's ministry, with relationships, because that's what they wanted me to talk about. And the Lord said, read it again. And I start to read the text again, and I said, okay, uh, help me understand this. And the Lord said, read it again. And this morning, I just felt in my heart that there was, in fact, a connection between this text and the journey that we've been on in the Gospels, or actually in the book of Genesis, and understanding God's pattern of creation, or the miracle of creation. And so I just want to say to you, we're going to connect the dots, and what I'm actually going to do this morning is skip over day five, right? Because last week we wrapped up day four. We're going to skip over day five. We're going to land on day six. Because day six is actually the pinnacle of God's creation process. It is the final day of creation because on the seventh day, God rested from all his work and he said it was very good. On the sixth day, God gives us this lesson of stewardship. And what stewardship really is, is learning to manage well what belongs to someone else. And so God created the heavens and the earth, and then he entrusted everything that he had created to Adam and Eve, to steward, to manage, listen, to multiply, and to replenish. And they were supposed to do it in the context of marriage. In fact, God said it this way to Adam, it was not good for the man to be alone. So he made Eve a helper, a help meet comparable to him. When God created Eve, he didn't create Eve to be a completer of Adam's person. For those of you who buy into this whole idea, oh, you complete me. No, the scripture says in Colossians that you and I are complete in Christ. So you don't need anybody to complete you. In fact, you better come to that relationship whole. Let me say that again now. You better come to the relationship whole. Not looking for someone to fulfill you in ways that only God can. If you come to a relationship looking for man to fulfill you in ways that only God can, you have created a burden. That's the problem with the woman at the well. Six times she looked to man to fulfill her in ways that only Jesus could. And she was empty and thirsty until she had a divine encounter with the seventh man. When God said it was not good for the man to be alone, he didn't create Eve for Eve to create Adam's person. God created Eve so that Eve would be a completer of their purpose. There is a difference between depending on somebody to complete your person and recognizing that God calls people alongside us to help us complete our purpose. That's what God said in Genesis. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. 
and replenish the earth. It was not an instruction that God gave singularly to Adam. Because Adam could not be fruitful and he could not multiply by himself. He could not have dominion in the earth by himself. Because one puts a thousand to flight, but two will put ten thousand to flight. And so this morning I'm going to talk about stewardship, but from a different angle. I want to talk to you this morning about stewardship in the context of relationships. Because most of what we do in life will be influenced by the quality and the health of our relationships. So we're talking about day six of creation, and God is showing us the significance of this pattern that he established in creation that you and I should follow. Say this with me. Understand the plan. Understand the plan. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. Receive, the promise. Receive the promise. Let's say that one more time with conviction, <laughs> with faith. Understand the plan. Understand the plan. Follow the pattern. And that's what we've been doing in the, in the creation narrative. We've been following the pattern of God, and we have discovered that everything God created, he created sequentially in a very specific order. And when he creates Adam and Eve on the sixth day, it is deliberate, it is intentional, because now he has created everything, and he steps back from creation, entrusts it to Adam and Eve to steward over and the system, listen to this, the system becomes self-sustaining. That's day seven. God wants for us to create systems in our lives that are self-sustaining. So that you can step back from all your labor. And what you have set in motion is working for you without you having to intervene. Are y'all listening to me? This is what we're going to talk about on the seventh day. We're going to talk about the miracle of Sabbath. How that God wants to create systems in our lives so that we get to a certain point where the system is self-sustaining. Because God rested from all his labor on the seventh day. So, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? This morning, I'm going to talk to you about the nuts and bolts of healthy, kingdom relationships. I'm going to talk to you about the pattern of God. The pattern of God that he established on the sixth day. Because without healthy relationships, without healthy relationships, we will mismanage what God has entrusted to us. You, you, in fact, you don't even have to look any further than Genesis chapter 3. In three chapters, Adam and Eve had so mismanaged their relationship that they forfeited. God gave them everything. And he says it's yours to manage. But in three chapters, let me show you three chapters. This is three chapters. Right here. Right? You see this right here? Three chapters. It took these three chapters to make all the rest of this book necessary. And it happened in the context of mismanaged relationships. The Lord sent me here to tell you this morning that he is entrusting stewardship to us. But if we mismanage our relationships, we will forfeit 
the Garden of Eden. He placed Adam and Eve in the midst of abundance, but their inability to manage their relationship cost them everything. Your inability to manage the relationships that God brings your way will limit what God desires and what he can accomplish in you and through you next. Are y'all listening to me? When you read Genesis chapter 3, there are two things that are glaring that contribute to the mismanagement of this marriage. The first thing is Eve's independence. Having a full-blown conversation with a snake and making decisions about the house without any input from her husband. She made a unilateral decision, partook of a fruit that God told them not to touch, and gave it to her husband. The problem with relationships today is not new. It is centuries old. And one of those problems that emerges in relationships and most women struggle with to this day is the independence of Eve. Okay. Well, that's only half of the equation. Fellas, I got something for you too. I know you were looking at your wife cross-eyed, but I got something for us too. Because juxtaposed side by side with Eve's independence is Adam's indifference. How come? Because the scripture says that she gave the fruit to her husband who was standing right there. It says her husband with her. I'm trying to figure out, as the man of my house, why my wife is having a full-blown conversation with a serpent, and I ain't got a word to say edgewise. Right now. The thing that is impacting relationships equally as the independence of Eve is the indifference of Adam. In fact, another way you can call, phrase it is the silence of Adam. To this day, well, baby, you know I just don't talk much. I guarantee you she's going to find somebody to talk to. And your silence is opening the door for external influence, sis, that are disrupting your house. Are y'all listening to me? This is in the creation narrative. They said, well, Pastor Ray, I thought you were going to teach from John chapter 4. I am. I'm just trying to connect the dots. I'm just trying to connect the dots. Because there's a pattern. And God is saying to us this morning, he has entrusted dominion in the earth to you and me. But if we don't manage our relationships, we lose the, what's the word, the authority to exercise kingdom dominion in the earth. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? 
It's bigger than just you and your wife. It's just, it's so much bigger than you just having your way. It's bigger than you just having your say. There is kingdom dominion that is at stake, that is at risk when we become flippant with our relationships. Because when Adam and Eve did, boop, kicked out of the garden. Kicked out of a place of security and abundance. Because they missed the lesson of stewardship. And the reason they missed it was because they couldn't manage their interpersonal relationship. One to the other. Oh, yeah. We're talking about miracles. <laughs> ah, here we go. Y'all ready for this? Uh, obscure text. Because when you're thinking about marriage and relationships, the last place you're going to look is Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, where it talks about the beheading of John the Baptist. I knew it had to be God. You're going to tell me to teach men about relationships and marriage and you take me to the, the beheading of John the Baptist? It has got to be God. And so I think there's something God wants to speak to us this morning that will help us understand the magnitude of what has been entrusted to us in the marriage covenant. If you're single this morning, I don't want you to feel excluded. There's something for you to learn as you prepare for your marriage covenant. If I were to choose a title for this morning's sermon, it would simply be this, Can You Handle the Truth? For those of you who are old enough to remember a few good men, and this, and this scene between Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, celebrated Marine Colonel on the stand for possibly having ordered a code red. Tom Cruise so presses Jack Nicholson, who because of his uh, fame and his, the accolades and his achievements and the influence and the weight, this gravitas that he carried in him, thought he didn't have to answer this snotty-nosed little jag officer named Tom Cruise. And in a moment of arrogance, uh, listen to me, in a moment of arrogance which became his moment of weakness, how many of you realize that arrogance is insecurity playing dress-up? Don't let anybody trick you with their arrogance and their bravado. They are insecure people playing dresser. And in a moment of arrogance, he admits to having ordered the code red on Private Santiago. And immediately, he's court-martialed, and that is the end of his career. I was sitting there this morning, or actually last night, thinking about this title of the message, and what I realized was, was this, a few good men is 28 years old this year. Come on, somebody, that's a whole lifetime. And, and I think the Lord wants us to wrestle with that question this morning. 
Can you handle the truth? Because the bottom line is the currency of every healthy relationship. Not every relationship. Every healthy relationship. Because the truth is, uh, the currency of some relationships is manipulation. The currency of some relationships you might engage in might be deception. The currency of some relationships that you might engage in might be power. But when the relationship is healthy, the only currency that is acceptable is truth. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this, that this morning. Uh, the foundation, the foundation of all healthy relationships is truth and trust. Because without truth, there really can't be a whole lot of trust. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 11 and verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you have a relationship that doesn't have the basic foundation, the cornerstone of truth and trust, it's almost a lost cause. Because if the foundation is destroyed, there's absolutely nothing the righteous can do. And so this morning, the Lord wants us to consider the foundations that we have been building on. And is the foundation of your relationships truth? Here's why. Truth plus trust equals transparency. Listen to me again. Truth plus trust equal transparency. Why is that equation important? Because transparency is the height, it is the epitome of intimacy. If you still can't be vulnerable, if you still can't be transparent with your significant other, what you really have is just proximity, not intimacy. There is a difference between standing side by side, sitting side by side, Sleeping side by side, living under the same roof, sleeping in the same bed. There is a difference between simply having proximity to someone and having intimacy with them. Because until you can assume a posture of transparency that is rooted in truth and trust, all you have is something superficial. Your relationship is simply based on proximity. And let me say this to you. Life and ministry, baby, come up here for a second. Life and ministry happen side by side. Life and ministry happens facing outward. Come on, baby. So when Pastor Wendy and I leave Converge Church, when we parent our children, this is what people see. They see a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, Doing life side by side. The deception is this is only proximity. Because it's possible to do life successfully side by side. Shoulder to shoulder. Interlocking fingers. Looking outward. Winning. But all it is is proximity. 
Because life and ministry can happen looking outward. But marriage, listen to me, marriage was designed to be experienced exclusively face to face. This right here is more than proximity. This right here is intimacy. This right here is intimacy. And most of us live our lives. Most of us live our lives in the same house, in the same bed, side by side, looking out, but never turn inward, face to face. Anybody listen to what I'm saying? And that's why Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 says that Adam and Eve, the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Now, let me tell you what that said. It speaks specifically of a, thank you, baby, of a physical nakedness, but it also carries the idea of deep intimacy. That I could be totally transparent and vulnerable with you without the threat of being shamed. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? The reason most people don't turn inward in intimacy, the reason most people settle for proximity is because the person you're in the bed with might be too unsafe. Yes. Meaning, if I turn inward and tell you how I really feel, not just share my successes with you, but my fears and my anxieties, I'm too afraid because you might judge me. You might shame me for it. And most people suffer in silence. I wonder why Eve talked to a serpent when her husband was standing right there. What if it was too scary to turn inward? And the problem is, We have relationships that are unsafe. We have proximity but no intimacy because it is unsafe. Can I be naked and unashamed with you? It's the question. That's why some guys will pick up the phone and talk to their boys. Because their boys may not judge them for it. That's why you got your circle of friends, your sisters, your sister girls. Because maybe if I say it to so-and-so, they ain't going to judge me. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? The currency of healthy relationships is truth. And the epitome, the epitome of intimacy in relationships is Genesis 2.25. They were both naked and unashamed. That's what transparency looks like. Oh, let's get back to, you said, Pastor, what does it got to do with John the Baptist getting his head chopped off? Here it is. Uh, I can't tell, but if y'all, if what I'm saying is making sense, just wave at me real quick. Just wave, okay, okay, y'all with me, okay. I'm not going to ask you again because y'all waved, y'all with me. Uh, uh, let me just go on record as saying when I stepped up here and took the mic, it was already 1050. 
Just saying. Y'all let pastor get through his message. In Jesus' name. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. God's question to us this morning is what is your response to truth? This is the lesson of Mark 6, beginning at verse number 14. I'll begin reading in the New Living Translation. It says, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, man, this must be John, the man I beheaded. He's come back from the dead. Uh, for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John, listen, as a favor to Herodias. If you're a note taker, I just want you to underline that phrase, as a favor to Herodias. Listen to the backstory. <laughs> she had been, past tense, his brother, Philip's wife. Come on, somebody. They were from Arkansas. <laughs> sorry. I know I got some folk from Arkansas. Don't be mad. It's sorry. Tennessee, maybe? She had been his brother, Philip's wife. But Herod married her. But notice verse 18. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. Somebody say truth. Listen to me. All of us in this room need to have a truth teller in our lives. The problem with most of us, <laughs> we despise truth tellers. Because truth tellers force us to evaluate ourselves. Notice the language. It didn't say John told Herod. It said John had been telling. This was not a singular occasion. This was not just a one-time conversation. John had been telling. Herod, bruh, this is a bad idea. How many of you have sat across from a trusted friend that have told you, man, I know you say you're going to do this. This is a bad idea, man. Please don't do it. Now, this seems like an extreme because this is a man marrying his brother's wife. Not after he's dead, while he's still alive. And he divorces his wife so he can be with his brother Philip's wife named Herodias. John the Baptist shows up and said, this is a bad idea. Now, let's mine the text further. <sighs> because in verse number, where are we again? Verse number 18. In verse number 19, notice, notice Herodias' response to truth. So Herodias did what? Bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. That is her response to hearing the truth. That is her response to hearing wise counsel. 
she bore a grudge and said, I'm going to kill that dude. And the reason I'm going to kill him is because he had the audacity to tell me something that was going to help me. I'm going to kill him because he had the audacity to be honest with me. I am going to hate him because he had the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The fortitude to be a truth teller in my life. And my response to what he said to me, the truth, is I'm going to bear a grudge against him. But not only that, I'm going to kill him for being honest with me. Now let's read the rest of the story. This is a rhema word from the throne of God. I have, I've never seen this before in scripture, never heard anybody preach it. I was just reading my Bible lesson and the Lord said, you preach this to these men. And when I started working on my sermon for the day, he said, no, you preach it to your church. Can you handle the truth? Herodias proved she couldn't. Because the truth brought out the worst in her. And now she's bearing a grudge and conspiring to kill the truth teller in her life. But notice, notice Herod's response. Are y'all reading along with me? Here it is. It says she wanted to kill him, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. She got a plan, but she's powerless. And people with a plan who are powerless are some of the most dangerous people. Because what they look for is the opportune time. They will suffer in silence. And when you least expect it, they will have their day. So she's trying to kill somebody. Listen, listen. She was powerless to harm him. They're under the same roof, in the same bed. And the person she's trying to kill is the person that her husband is protecting. It happens every single day in marriages and in relationships all over the place. You hate somebody that the person you're in relationship is trying to protect. Because they have a different response to truth. Notice Herod's response. They were exposed to the same thing but had two totally different responses. And I've just gotten used to it. I've just gotten used to it as a pastor. Being a truth teller for people to hate me and despise me. To hate and despise me and my wife. I've gotten used to it. I've gotten used to people bearing grudges against me because I was simply trying to help them by telling them the truth. Can I say this to you? Truth should never be about preferences. It should always be about the principle. What John is saying to Herodias is not anything about his preference. He's telling them this is the principle that you're violating. And that's why when people get mad at me and leave and they don't want to talk to me, I don't even think twice about it. Because what I say to them is not based on my preferences. It is based on the principle. And you can conspire all you want to kill me. You can hate me all you want. I will rest in the fact that God allowed me for a moment to be a truth teller in your life. Most of us kill the truth tellers. And the scripture says this was Herod's response. Notice, notice, it says for Herod respected John. 
and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Listen to me. His wife is trying to kill somebody, and he's protecting her. Imagine what that looked like in their house. You know what it looks like in your house. When you see it one way and your spouse sees it another way. Oh, y'all been down that road before. I bet not here you talk to so-and-so. I'm talking about husbands who say to your wives, I never want to see you out with so-and-so. You better not be talking to so-and-so. You know why? Because that person is a truth teller in your wife's life. I'm talking about the wives who despise your husband's friends. It happens every single day. And here's Herod protecting somebody that his wife is trying to kill. I'm talking about marriage and relationship. I'm talking about stewardship. I'm talking about all of it. Because Herod and Herodias, because of John, all they have is proximity. They ain't got no intimacy. Because you're protecting something I'm trying to kill. And notice John's response. Let me read the last part of the verse. I want you to hear this, and I want you to examine yourself. Notice what the verse says. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. I'm talking about how the truth tellers in your life make you feel. It hurts to hear it. It is disturbing to hear somebody tell you that your stuff is stank. You don't want to entertain it. You push back against it. But notice his response to truth. It was hard to hear. But he loved listening to it. And because he knew that John was a truth teller in his life, when his wife wanted to kill him, he protected him. Because Herod could handle the truth. Unlike his wife who when she heard the truth, bore a grudge. Pretty quiet in this Presbyterian Catholic Wesleyan church this morning. Somebody say, understand the plan. Follow the pattern. Receive the promise. Again, there is a a portion of the kingdom that God wants us to have dominion in, to influence. But if we don't even learn how to manage the primary relationship, the marriage relationship, the family relationship, how can God entrust Eden to you? For those of us who want to save the world and lose our home in the process. Those of us who want to be a boss, those of us who want to make boss moves, dominion comes and dominion is lost based on how we manage our face-to-face. Okay. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up. There's so much I could say. So here's a couple of things. Uh, What's your response to truth? What is your response to truth? One, there is what's called truth spoken. 
And if you're going to build a kind of relationship that starts with truth, truth and blossoms into trust and ultimately transparency, here it is, truth must be spoken in love. This is how you create an environment where you and your friend, you and your spouse, you and your fiance, you and your girlfriend, this is how you create an environment where you can be naked emotionally and unashamed. This is how it starts. You have to speak the truth in love. That's Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. But notice verse 25. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Is this helping anybody this morning? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. I'm going to help somebody. I'm going to help somebody. And I'm helping myself. The Holy Ghost is helping us all. Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah. Some of y'all here right now, y'all pushing back against everything I'm saying. Because I'm being a truth teller in your life. And you don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. Herodias' response to the truth was pride. Herod's response to the truth was humility. And what I have to say cannot and will not help you if you're too proud to hear it. But this is what I know the Bible says about the proud. That God resists the proud. He gives you, he gives you the Heisman. But he gives grace to the humble. Hmm? He says this about pride. That before destruction comes pride. And a haughty spirit before a fall. So you can be proud all you want. I don't care. Because what I'm saying is the truth. And you can do with the truth what you will. I don't care. I ain't trying to be your friend. I'm trying to be a truth teller. Okay? Uh, It must be spoken in love. Look at what verse 25 says. I'm going to take my time, and if you want to exit, by all means, you may exit. Verse 25, Ephesians 4.25. It says, listen, therefore put away lying. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Now, if you have a relationship that is unsafe and you can't tell the truth, what are you actually telling them? You're telling lies. If that person you're in a relationship is too unsafe for you to tell them the truth, And notice what it says. It says, stop telling lies. Start telling them how you really feel. Speak the truth in love. And here's why. It said you all are part of the same body. So the fact that you're trying to sugarcoat this and avoid it and not say it is detrimental to your own body. We're part of the same body. And if I cannot create a, a... Here it is. If you go to South Korea right now, on the border, there's a demilitarized zone. 
We need to create spaces in our relationships that are DMZs, demilitarized zones. That means I can step into this space with you without fear of retribution. That when I step into this space with you, you left your weapons outside, I left mine on the other side. I'm going to finish this message. It must be spoken in love. Truth must be spoken in love. I'm talking to the truth tellers. Speak the truth in love. Number two, truth must be full of grace. Truth must be full of grace. You've heard me say it before. That truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. You have to temper truth with grace. That's why Colossians says, Colossians 4 and verse 6, it says, let your words be seasoned with salt, full of grace, that you might know how to answer every man. This is how you become a truth teller in your relationships. See, truth must be tempered with wisdom and restraint. For those of you who say, well, I just tell it like it is. I just speak my mind. Really? That's what you do? Okay. Let's see what the Bible has to say about that. This ain't Pastor Ray's opinion. This is the truth. Proverbs 29, 11. It must be tempered with restraint and with grace. 29.11. It says a fool vents all his feelings. 29.11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Hmm? I like to call it the believer's fifth amendment. You do have the right to remain silent. If what you're about to say could be detrimental and harmful. Let me show you another one. Proverbs 15 and verse 28. I'm showing you what the scripture says so you don't think it's my opinion. Oh, I love this one. Proverbs 15, 28. Proverbs 15, 28. It says the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Woo! You know what that means? Oh, here it is in the New Living Translation. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Truth must be tempered with wisdom and restraint. Let me give you one more. Proverbs 16, 23. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. (laughs) I like that. Your heart will teach your mouth what to say. The problem is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you like Herodias and you're harboring a grudge against John the Baptist, you know what's going to come out your mouth? Your heart will teach your mouth how to spew venom. And the reason all that's coming out your mouth is venom is because you have an unhealthy heart. That's why you can't say anything nice to them. That's why you can't say anything kind to them. Oh, here it is. Truth must also be received. It must be received with humility. Why? Because the truth hurts. 
But even though the truth hurts, it never harms. It'll hurt you. Like when I went to my chiropractor in 2013 when I had that car accident and went to him for a year, every time I got on that table, it hurt. But it never harmed me. The truth may hurt, but it always helps. The truth may be hurtful, but it is never, there's never a time, the truth is ever harmful. It'll hurt. It'll hurt to hear what they got to say, but it will never harm you. And ultimately, the truth will hurt, but it will heal. That's why the scripture is called a two-edged sword. It'll cut you going in, but it will heal you coming out. Because the word of God is a scalpel. When that surgeon goes in, he got to cut some stuff. He got to cut through skin to get to the tumor. He got to cut the tumor away in order for you to live. So it may hurt, but the truth will always help and the truth will always heal. Oh, let me pump the brakes. Y'all ready for this? How you respond to the truth will determine whether you heal or not. Because Herodias never healed from the truth she heard. You say, Pastor Ray, how you know? Listen to me. This is where I will close. Where we fail in relationships. <laughs> where we fail in relationships is we, we fear the dialogue. We do this awkward dance around the dialogue. We are afraid to talk about it. May I submit to you that just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean it's going away. You can ignore it all you want. It will still be right where it was when you ignored it. You can pretend all day long. Listen, psychologists say the reason kids are so amused by peekaboo is because they think that because you, I'm sorry, because they can see you, that they have disappeared. So they cover their eyes. They can't see anything. They assume that if they can't see anything, you can't see anything, which means they have disappeared. But how many of you realize that you can play peekaboo with the problem all day long? You can imagine that you done disappeared and the problem done disappeared. It's still going to be right where you left it. Thank you. So this is what we do because we fear the, the dialogue. We appease instead of offending. This is what we do. Instead of telling the truth and running the risk of offending someone, we just appease them. That's what Herod did. How many of you realize that in this story, John the Baptist ain't the problem? But John the Baptist is the one in jail. Now, he did it, what we say, as a favor to Herodias. To appease her. Instead of having a confrontation, 
with Herodias and saying, listen, your response to what John the Baptist said is wrong, he put him in prison. And he appeased her toxic response to truth. And this is what, John, this is what Herod thought. Well, if I put him in jail, he's going to be protected. Listen to me. Herodias had not changed her mind or her feelings toward John the Baptist. And most of us appease people with their toxic response to truth, and we try to make it go away, and we put a Band-Aid on it, but that person is still as mad about the truth today as they were six years ago. And what we do is we put John the Baptist, here it is, we put the truth in prison. Because as long as I can keep John the Baptist away from Herodias, I'll have a peaceful house. As long as I stop speaking the truth, I'll go have peace in my house. So in order to appease Herodias' toxic response to truth, I'm just going to imprison the truth and never say a word about it again. May I just submit to you that what I'm saying is not gender specific? Because there's a whole lot of men that act just like Herodias with your fragile ego. Because for men, it's easier for us to say, I'm mad, than I'm hurt. No, your feelings hurt. You're human. So you can cover it up in all of that bravado and machismo. Your feelings got hurt. Your feelings got hurt. You ain't mad. Your feelings are hurt. So there's a whole lot of men that respond to the truth just like Herodias. I'm going to keep a grudge about what you said, Pastor, and I'm going to conspire to kill you. Because it's not enough to hear the truth about myself. Now i got to retaliate. Can I just say this? Real quick. You say, well, Pastor Ray, what about turning the other cheek? No. When Jesus is talking about turning the other cheek, he's not talking about confrontation. He's talking about retaliation. Jesus had confrontation almost every day with the Pharisees. Because the word confront means to come, con, front, face to face. Jesus wants us to have confrontation. Garden of Eden, Adam, where you at, bro? That was God confronting Adam. Yet Jesus says, turn the other cheek. You know what he's saying? He's saying, don't retaliate. Retaliation is evil for evil. You slap me, I slap you back. That's not confrontation. That's retaliation. And God says, you need to start some confronting some stuff in your house. Because if you don't, you'll never have truth, you'll never have trust, and you'll never have transparency, and you will forfeit Eden. So here it is. Uh, is this my second closing or third? Okay, so here it is. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm just going to read the text. Remember, he's appeasing Herodias. He never confronts Herodias. So look at verse 21. In the NLT, verse 21, Mark 6, 21, Herodias' chance finally came. Hey, listen to me. The things you avoid and the things you appease, they're going to show up. They're going to show up when you least expect it. 
Her day finally came. Oh, yeah, John, I mean, Herod, I see you tripping. I see you think you're protecting John the Baptist. But my day will finally come. So her day finally came. And her daughter went out and danced because it was uh, Herod's birthday, danced for the guest. And Herod was so happy with this dance. I don't know what kind of dance it was, but it made him and all of his guests happy. It was not holy. Amen. It was not. Listen, Herod was so happy. Herod was so happy. He said, listen, baby girl, anything you want, I'm going to give it to you. You just ask up to half of my kingdom over a dance. So, baby girl, Bible scholars say she was the daughter of Philip and Herodias. Her name was also Herodias. She goes to her mama. Said, Mama, what should I ask Herod for? Guess what came out her mouth? The head of John the Baptist. Now, if Herod had dealt with Herodias, instead of hiding John the Baptist, they would have worked through that problem. They would have resolved that problem, but because he chose to appease her, instead of offending her with the truth, her day came. Her day came. And sure enough, let's just read it, because this is a cautionary tale for those of us who are afraid of the dialogue. It's going to cost you something. You think you got a peaceful house? Nah, bruh. No, 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 no. You don't. You stepping on landmines, about to. Notice what scripture says, verse 25. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tree. Verse 26, then the king deeply regretted what he, regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guest, he could not refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison and brought his head. <laughs> Listen to, see the picture. Brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who gave it to her mama. And a toxic response to truth won the day. A toxic response to the truth won let me tell you the danger of this story is the one voice that was speaking truth to John and he was listening and was speaking to Herodias had now been eliminated. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to silence the one voice that God has placed in your life that will be courageous enough to tell you the truth. And from this day forward, there's no John the Baptist to speak truth into Herod's life. Avoidance of a problem does not mean absence of issues. And here's why that's important. What you tolerate, you cannot change. You probably want to pull out your phone and take a picture of these statements. What you tolerate, you cannot change. So don't complain about what you, author, uh, what you allow. If you tolerate it, it means you have allowed it. So why are you complaining? Notice the next statement. What you allow, you have authorized to exist. You have signed the seal, stamp of approval because you allow it. 
you authorize it to exist. Number three, what you authorize to exist, you normalize. In your house, if you allow Herodias to have her way with the truth, you have normalized that sort of response. And everybody, for the rest of their life, you, your children, everybody, going to tiptoe around the truth. Because it has been normalized. Here's the last thing. You can only conquer what you confront. You can only confront what you identify. And so, with that, at 1149, I close with this statement. The movie came out in the early 90s, starring Richard Gere, Julia Ormond, and Sean Connery. Sean Connery is King Arthur. He's got his Knights of the Round Table, a movie called First Night. They're debating whether to go to war with Maligant and what to do with Maligant, who had been one of his Knights of the Round Table. And Sean Connery says to his Knights, Sometimes speech is found on the other side of war. Did y'all hear that? In my Welsh accent? Sometimes. Skills, right? Skills, skills, skills. Sometimes peace is found on the other side of war. The peace that you want is not going to come because you avoid it. The peace that you want is going to come because you wage war with toxic responses to truth. And after you settle it, you'll get on the other side of it victorious. Father, seal this word in our hearts. Help us to live by it, walk in it, because there is a garden of Eden that we forfeit there is dominion and authority that you want to entrust to us. But if we're failing, if we're failing and missing the mark, Father, if we're, if we're short-circuiting, if we're imploding with the most valuable, most important relationship there is, the covenant of marriage and the covenant of family, how, God, how can you entrust nations and cities and kingdoms and businesses and enterprises to us? So, Lord, I pray not just for the people in the room this morning who are married, but, Father, I pray for each of us that we would have a Herod-like response to truth, that we might be greatly disturbed by it. It might be hard to hear, but, God, we will listen to it. Father, I pray for anyone in the room this morning who has been like Herodias, that hearing the truth creates a grudge bitterness, contempt, and we conspire and plot how we can uh, silence the truth tellers in our life. Father, I pray that you would forgive us and be merciful to us in Jesus' name. Help us, God, to understand your plan, to follow your pattern so that we can receive your promise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. And we hope that you enjoyed today's message. Remember to stay connected with us on our website, weareconverge.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WeAreConverge. You can also partner with us financially by giving safely and securely online at weareconverge.com backslash give. Thank you and God bless.